Verse 1, after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he proposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater Berea, and other Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. And these going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And we'll stop our reading there. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your word. We thank you, God, for speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, brother. No, we're fine. I'm fine. I think I can do this. Okay. All right. The Apostle Paul has left Syria, Antioch of Syria. We find him over in Macedonia at this time, which is Greece. Um, he's going to eventually make it all the way down to Corinth, and then he'll backtrack his way back to Syria of Antioch, the church there. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He's not going to go back to Antioch on this trip. He's going to go back to Greece, to Jerusalem. So anyway, he makes his way through Macedonia of Greece, which is Europe. He'll go from there and he'll go down to uh, Jerusalem. All right? So anyway, that gives you kind of a little bit of an idea on the map where he is going to be. But if you will, across the top of Acts chapter 20, if you'll write there, 2 Corinthians... The book of 2 Corinthians was written there at this time. 1 Corinthians was written in Acts 19. So if you want to write that in your Bibles or take a note of that somewhere, that way you will know where the books were written. Okay? The Bible tells us now at this point he has traveled up into Macedonia. He is, of course, having left Ephesus, a tremendous revival that broke out there. He's in his third missionary journey here. He leaves Ephesus, he goes over to Macedonia. The Bible tells us at this point, he picks up uh, Luke the physician because he is located in Troas. And you'll begin to see in verse 6, the we statements. And we sailed from Philippi. Are y'all with me? Okay, boy, I tell you what, I'm, on, I'm not on track this morning. All right. These going before carried for us at Troas and we sailed away from Philippi. It is Philippi, as you know, that Luke was located. So he picks up Luke in Philippi, verse 6, We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode seven days. Now, the Apostle Paul in this chapter is going to deal with two different groups of people. He's going to focus on those people in Troas and then also he's going to talk to the elders of Ephesus. When he gets to Troas, the Bible tells us, verse 7, Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. Brother 
would you check my mic? Something just happened to that mic. I don't know what happened to it, but just check it for me. He starts preaching there to them in Troas. The Bible says on the first day of the week, the Bible says in verse 8, there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. I'm in verse 9. Being fallen into a deep sleep, and as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. <clears throat> so this is the event in um, Troas where as Paul is preaching very, very long, he's going to preach all the way through the night, in fact, before he leaves Troas. This young man here, his name's Eutychus, goes to sleep as the Apostle Paul is long preaching. When he goes to sleep, he falls out of the building onto the ground. And the Bible says he's taken up for dead, so evidently when he hit the ground, he died. So I don't know, I've never had a service like that where I preach so long that people are dying. I mean, I've, I've looked at some of you, look like you were. You know, but I've never really actually naturally, physically seen that happen where I had preached so long that somebody fell asleep and then died. But Eutychus did. The Apostle Paul was preaching and just preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. He's preaching all the way through the night, you know. And I believe it says at about midnight, this is when Eutychus, he falls asleep and falls out of the church. I will just say this, okay? I'm not going to tell you not to go to sleep when I preach. Because sometimes that's the easiest thing to do when I preach. In fact, when I don't, when I can't sleep at night, and I have a hard time sleeping, you know what I do? I'll go get one of my tapes. <laughs> Put my tape in, turn it on, and I'm fast asleep. So I'm not going to tell you don't go to sleep when I preach, because I'm really good at putting people to sleep. Okay? But I will tell you this, if you do go to sleep in the church, make sure you're leaning in and not out. Because if you go to sleep in the church and you're leaning outside of the church and you fall out of the church, it's going to kill you. Okay, so I'm just telling you, some of you are already asleep. You better lean in. Because if you don't lean in, you're going to fall out of the church and you're going to die if you fall out of the church. Alright? And there's a lot of people. I don't, I'm not saying Eutychus was bored that day. He might have just had a long day at work and hard day at work and just tired, but he fell asleep. But I'm just saying, when he fell asleep, he went the wrong direction. <laughs> Alright, so if you go to sleep, make sure you go to sleep leaning toward the church and not out of the church, because we don't want anybody to die. And I don't have the power of the Apostle Paul to raise you from the dead. So our next step with you is to take you to the funeral, right? Praise the Lord. The Apostle Paul, after this young man fell out, he goes down, the Bible tells us he's able to... Um, Bring this young man alive. Verse 12, they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. So he didn't just do it for the young man. He did it for the church because they were greatly comforted as this young man was raised evidently from the dead. Say amen. How many of y'all are asleep this morning? How many of y'all are leaning in the right direction? Look at your neighbor and say, if I go to sleep, make sure I'm leaning in, not out. Amen. <clears throat> and so after this event at Troas, the Bible says in verse 13, they went before the ship and sailed unto Asosus. They're intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed uh, himself to go afoot. 
when he had met with us at Sosus, we took him in and came to Matitlin. Uh, this is a strange word here, Matitlin. And we sailed thence and came next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. Now here's where the focus now shifts, is to Miletus. For Paul sends for elders in Ephesus to come and see him. So verse 16, Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So we have the eldership come from Ephesus there to Paul in Miletus. Now verse 18, When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I had been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. You see this? So he's telling the eldership there of Ephesus in Miletus that he is going to go to Jerusalem and it is the will of God for him to go there. You catch that? But he's been told as he's traveling through the churches here, that he's going to suffer there when he gets there. He's going to be bound. He's going to be afflicted. So when we get to this part of the book of Acts, we're moving into the time of Paul's bondage. Now the Bible tells us something very interesting here because the brothers, the sisters, prophets, etc. are telling the Apostle Paul that if he goes to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer. He's going to be afflicted. He's going to be bound. The Spirit of God is speaking through these people. And they're telling Paul that this is going to happen. Correct? But he's also heard from the Lord. And what he's heard from God is, is that he's supposed to go to Jerusalem. So the Bible says, I, he says, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. God has already bound me to His will to go to Jerusalem. So even though he's got the people in the churches that he's gone to coming to him and telling him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Because if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. You're going to be afflicted. You're going to suffer. The Apostle Paul is also hearing God. Are y'all catching this? He's also hearing God and God is telling him to go. So who's right? Is it the people that are coming to Paul and say, Paul, don't go? Or it is the Apostle Paul who says, I'm bound in the Spirit, I have to go. Who's hearing from God? They're both hearing from God. You're right. Paul is hearing from God. And so are these people hearing from God. They're both hearing from God. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> the people that are coming to Paul and telling him what's going to happen, this is going to happen. This is true. 
So they're getting this understanding, this revelation from God that the Apostle Paul, if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound. So they are getting that information from the Spirit of the Lord. They are asking him not to go because of their love for him. So that changes. You understand? It's no longer are they speaking for God at that point, but they're speaking because they care about Paul. And I'm not saying they're necessarily out of the will of God to do that. But they have declared, they know from God that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, what awaits him? Bondage and affliction. They're asking him not to go. Correct? But Paul says, I'm going because I'm bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. God has told him to go to Jerusalem. So this is what you need to understand is that, again, once again we see an example in the Word of the Lord where somebody like the Apostle Paul who has the Spirit of God in him is not told to do or not told what to do by somebody outside on the outside of them. They are led by the Spirit from within. Okay? You hear what I'm telling you? There may be a word that comes to them that confirms what is awaiting them. There may be a word that comes to them that warns them about what is going to happen to them in their life if they take certain um, actions. But we don't see a man who's in the will of God and knows he's in the will of God to go to a certain place. We don't see God using somebody else to tell him not to go there. Does that make sense to you? The Apostle Paul knew by the Spirit of the Lord, he was led by the Spirit of the Lord where he was going to go, and no matter what, somebody, even though it was people who were hearing from God, knew that if he went there, what was going to happen to him when he went there, the Apostle Paul knew, because he heard from God, he had to do the will of the Lord. Does that make sense? So God doesn't use somebody on the outside to tell somebody else who knows they've heard from God where to go. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So just because these people in the church were coming to the Apostle Paul and saying, Paul, this is going to happen to you when you go there. Please don't go. You catch that? Paul doesn't say, okay, I better listen to you. No, he has to listen to God, the Spirit of God, because God has told him individually what to do. And what he's told the church is the truth. What the Spirit of God has revealed to the church is true that Paul is going to suffer if he goes there. But it's not going to change the mind of the Apostle Paul. And even a prophet is going to come. We're going to see a little bit later on. A prophet by the name of Agabus is going to come. And Agabus is even going to tell Paul what's going to happen to him. This prophet binds himself and shows Paul what's going to happen. He acts it out. This prophet, the Bible says he's a prophet says, when you go there, you're going to be bound. And he binds himself up and demonstrates to the Apostle Paul what's going to happen to him. But even a prophet wasn't sent by God to change the mind of the Apostle. He was just sent there to declare what was going to happen to him if he did this. But Paul knew that he was in the will of God. Okay? Now, what I do need to tell you this is we're not we're talking about somebody who knew they were in the will of God. We're not talking about somebody who's out of the will of God. There can be a pastor, there can be a prophet that comes to you and tells you, you're out of the will of God if you do this, you're going to miss God if you do this. Don't do this. That's different. Say praise the Lord. Hear what I'm telling you. But I'm talking about an apostle here who knew the will of God, who knew the mind of God, and nothing anybody said or did to him 
was going to change him from doing God's will in his life. Even people who were hearing from the Spirit of God as to what was going to happen to him, if he did that, did not change this man's mind. This man's mind. He knew what he was supposed to do in the Spirit of God. Does that make sense to you? Say praise the Lord. And so here's what he's saying to them there, to these Ephesian elders. I'll read it to you again. You know, God had told him this years and years and years ago. This wasn't some new revelation to him. But in verse 22, he says, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. That means everything. Save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. He said, everywhere I'm going, people's telling me that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course which, with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You see that? Okay, let's go over to Acts chapter 9. And this is the conversion of the Apostle Paul. <coughs> The Apostle Paul knew what his mission in life was going to be. Y'all still with me so far? Okay, what I'm trying to find here is that we're, we have the word of what Paul, the Apostle Paul is going to do for the Lord. Let's see here. Okay, brother, thank you. Okay, good. Yes, there it is. Look at that. You there, nine, uh, Acts 9, 15? Are you there? Okay. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. Say, who did? The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before who? The Gentiles and what? Kings and the children of Israel. So right at the conversion of the Apostle Paul, he already knows what he's going to do. He's going to testify to the Gentiles, he's going to testify to kings, and he's going to testify to who? The children of Israel. And then verse 16, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So right at the very beginning of his conversion, the Apostle Paul knows what his life's work is. And that is, he's going to preach to the Gentiles. What else? Witness to kings and to the children of who? Israel. Uh-oh. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. Because he's got to fulfill that part of his calling in his ministry. He's got to take this witness to Jerusalem, to the children of Israel, because God has told him to do that. And then he also knows, because God has already told him, that as a result of this ministry, there's going to be great suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? So he's going to go to Jerusalem, even though he knows he's going to suffer, because that is God's will for his life. Go back to Acts 20.
So we have the witness from fellow believers in probably eldership, leadership, those churches telling him what's going to happen when he goes there. Verse 24 again, But none of these things move me. None of them. And the people couldn't change his mind. The suffering that he was going to go through did not change his mind. I'd be honest with you, this man is an amazing man to me. His faithfulness and his commitment to God. Let me just say this to you. There are a lot of people today who are committed to Jesus Christ, but they're not committed to the cause of Christ. Okay, look at look up here for just a minute. I'll say it to you again. They're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're not committed to the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ is what Christ died for. And that is He died for souls. So we can be committed to Jesus Christ, but not be committed to the cause of Christ, which is the church, which is serving the Lord. There are some people who are committed to the cause of Christ, the church, but are not committed to Jesus Christ. They're busy serving, working for the Lord, but they're really, they're not in love with Jesus Christ. Okay? There's some people who are committed to Jesus Christ and committed to the cause of Christ at the same time. And that's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be committed to Jesus Christ and to His cause, which is what He died for. Now lift your hands because I believe that you can lift your hands on this one. How many here today are committed to Jesus Christ and also committed to His cause? That's the church. Would you lift your hands? You're not just saying, I love Jesus Christ, but I'm going to serve Him. I'm committed to His cause. I'm committed to His church. I'm going to work for Him. I'm going to serve Him. Okay? You know what I'm telling you, don't you? So again, I'll say it again. Some are committed to Jesus Christ, but they're not committed to the cause of Christ. Some are committed to the cause of Christ, but are not committed to Jesus Christ. And then some are committed to Jesus Christ and to the cause of Christ. And that's the way we want to be. Because there are a lot of people who say, well, I love Jesus Christ, but they don't do anything. They don't serve Him in any way. Then you're not committed to His cause. Say praise the Lord. And then there's some people committed to the cause of Christ and they're always working and serving the Lord, but they don't have a relationship with Him. They don't ever talk to Him. They don't ever pray to Him. They don't have a desire to even know Him. Okay? But they're busy working. They're busy doing church work. Which are you today? Are you committed to the Christ? Are you committed to the cause of the Christ? Or are you just committed to the Christ and not the cause? Or the cause and not the Christ? The Apostle Paul was committed to Jesus Christ and to the cause of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it didn't matter what he was going to go through. It didn't matter what he was going to suffer. It didn't matter what people told him and, and tried to warn him about. If you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. He's got his mind made up to do the will of God because he's committed to Jesus Christ and he's committed to the cause of Christ. And I honestly thank God for the most part this church. Because this church right here in Odessa, Texas is not only committed to Jesus Christ, but committed to the cause of Christ. And not only committed to the cause of Christ, but to Jesus Christ. And that's the way it ought to be. And that's the way the Apostle Paul was. And so he said, none of these things move me. 
You can tell me about how much I'm going to suffer spreading this gospel, but that's not going to stop me from doing it. You can tell me I'm going to be bound when I get there. So be it. The will of the Lord be done. But he knew what God had called him to do, and it didn't matter what was going to happen to him, nothing stopped the Apostle Paul from spreading the gospel. Nothing stopped the Apostle Paul from doing the will of the Lord in his life. No matter of suffering, no matter of affliction, no matter of a, no matter uh, of bondage, no matter of warning, no matter how the church thought, okay, was going to change what he was going to do for God. Do you have that kind of made up mind today? Praise the Lord. Give the Lord praise. <clears throat> you know, some people in America they have a, they have a hard time just getting up going to church on Sunday morning. Okay? I mean, it's a struggle for them to get to church. But we're talking about a man here that wasn't just going to church. This man, no matter what he faced, traveled over 12,000 miles land and sea to spread the gospel. Oftentimes heavily sick in his body. All kinds of things. Obstacles all the time coming at him. Persecutions. Even stoned to death. But this man, nothing stopped him because he knew God had talked to him years and years ago about what he was supposed to do. And number one, or one of those things was he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to speak to kings and also to the Gentiles. And he's been doing this in these three missionary journeys. He's been preaching to Gentiles all over, all over the then known world (coughs) as we know it. Okay. So now he wants to go back to Jerusalem so he can be a witness of the gospel there. Verse 25. Does that inspire you? I don't want to just jump over this real quick. I want us to think about what I've just said. Does that inspire you? This man inspires me. His his undying commitment to the work of God and to Jesus Christ Himself. He's just a tremendous example. You know, you might not be an apostle, but you got a call on your life to do something in the kingdom. And is there something inside of you today that says nothing's going to stop me from fulfilling the cause of Christ in my life? Or, or, are you today sidetracked out of the will of God? You're not in the will of God. You're not fulfilling His plan in your life. You're playing with relationships that you shouldn't be playing with. You're out there, you're more focused on the world than you are the work of Jesus Christ. That's the question we gotta ask. Now, when you serve the Lord, you gotta understand this, that it's, it's gonna come with a price. It's gonna cost you. You are going to suffer. People are going to reject you. You can't go hide in your little cave. You know, just because you don't want anybody talking about you, or you don't want to suffer affliction, or you don't want any bondages, or anything bad, you know, going on. No, you can't hide in your little closet and feel sorry for your little self. To fulfill the will of God means it's going to cost us something. It's going to bring suffering, okay? But you're going to take a stand for Jesus Christ. You're going to go out there and you're going to do what's right. Amen? Amen. This man encourages me. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So it does cause something to do the will of God in your life. I'm going to ask you again because I keep hearing the Holy Ghost. Where are you today? Are you in the will of God? Are you fulfilling the plan of God in your life? Are you out there doing whatever God has called you to do no matter what somebody says, no matter what family says, what friends say, what... Come on, somebody. Have you made up your mind? I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else does. My husband don't want to do it. I will. 
If my wife doesn't want to do it, I will. I'm going to stand before God Almighty someday. Church, listen. And I'm your pastor. You know I'm your pastor. I don't have to tell you that. At least I don't think I do. But someday I'm going to stand before God. And you're not going to stand for me. You're not going to stand before God for me. I am. Someday you're going to stand before God. Each one of you individually. And God has called some you to do things in the kingdom of God. And what are you going to do when you stand there before God on judgment day? You're going to make all these excuses up? Well, my husband didn't want to. My wife didn't want to. My children. What is the excuse? I'm telling the Apostle Paul, let nothing become an excuse for him. He could have said, well, Lord, you know, look, even the prophets are telling me what's going to happen if I do this. Maybe I shouldn't do this, God. No. He knew what God's will was for his life. And he let nobody stop him. He even, you know what I'm telling you because he was a part of the Sanhedrin court. He even lost his wife. When he became a believer, his wife left him. But that didn't stop him. He kept on living for Jesus Christ. I ask you today, and boy, the Holy Ghost is really on me right now. I didn't plan on saying a lot of this that I'm saying right now. But how committed to the cause of Jesus Christ are you? If your wife were to leave you and go into the world, would you just get all depressed and discouraged and quit God? Or would you keep on serving the Lord, keep on coming to church? What if you... Listen, listen. I know what I'm talking about. As a youth leader, I saw a young girl in the youth group. Uh, she's an older youth. She's up in high school age. This young girl was on fire for the Lord in that church. And she got into a relationship with, with a man who is on fire for God as well. This man today is a minister of the gospel. And they got into this relationship together there in this youth group, okay? She's on fire. He's on fire. That wasn't the problem. But what happened was, when the relationship was no longer on, she basically backslid. She quit God because she couldn't have the boyfriend she wanted. What about you? Is it on your terms? Or is it on God's terms? If somebody leaves you, a relationship leaves you, are you going to keep living for God? Well, you, I hope you do. I got a young woman sitting right here. When, 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 you know, that situation happened to her, she kept living for God. She's raising her kids in the church right now. Is she, that, you understand what I'm telling you? She could come up with a lot of excuses why I'm not going to live for God. You know? My husband wasn't faithful to me and I'm trying to raise my two boys by myself, you know. All this foolishness. No, she made up her mind, I'm going to live for God. <clears throat> and she's living for the Lord and she's faithful to God. And she's just one example of many in this house today. But what about you? That's my point. What about you? Are you a compromiser? Are you somebody that's looking for an excuse to have it your way? Are you the kind of person that's made up your mind, I'm going to live for God. If my boyfriend quits me and leaves me, I'm going to live for God. Because God's got a plan for me. And I'm going to trust God's plan for my life. And God's going to bring a different relationship for me that I need. And if He doesn't bring a relationship to me, I don't need one. Come on, somebody. And if I suffer loss... 
for the sake of the gospel, if I don't get it the way I want it for the sake of the gospel, if I die single, and the Apostle Paul will, I'm still going to serve him. And when I preach the gospel, if people mistreat me and they persecute me and they put me in chains, that's not going to stop me. Because I know God has called me to do what I'm called to do. And that's the Apostle Paul. That's where you got to be. you got to be committed to Jesus Christ and you got to be committed to the cause of Christ no matter what happens. No matter who rejects it. No matter who misunderstands it. No matter who doesn't want you to do it. I've made up my mind. I'm going all the way with Jesus Christ. And if you don't want to go with me, I want you to go with me. But if you don't want to go with me, I'm sorry. I got to go. Give the Lord praise in the house. Your wife looks at you in the Sunday morning and said, I don't feel like going to church. See you later. I'm going. Your husband says, I don't want to go to church. You get up and you keep going. I know I got people in the church right here do the same thing. Hallelujah. That's the kind of made up mind you got to have. See, it's not just about being committed to Jesus Christ. It's about being committed to this cause, to the church of the living God. And that's the Apostle Paul. What a great encouragement it is. I just wonder today if there's anything that would happen in my life. Okay, and I'm not going to put myself up here on a pedestal. Okay, and say that, that you know, you just got to be careful. But is I just wonder if there's anything in my life that would come to me in my life that could take my walk away. Any disappointment, anything in my life, any loss in my life that would come to me that would cause me to lose my walk with God or my call. Not just my walk with God, but my call. When it gets hard and it gets difficult, you know, so, well, how do you, have you ever felt like quitting? Don't lift your hands on that. Have you ever felt like it? Oh, I'm not saying Paul never felt like quitting. I'm not saying Paul was never discouraged. We know he was. And we'll see it again. He was constantly discouraged. He was constantly down. All the time. I'm not telling you you're not going to feel discouraged. I'm not going to tell you at times that you're not going to feel like quitting or feel like giving up. I'm not saying you can't have that feeling. I'm not saying that that's not going to come. But when it comes, you stand up and keep on going anyway. When you're afraid, when fears grip the heart, Paul said, I come before you with much fear and trembling. The Apostle Paul, he stood before congregations and preached to congregations. He would stand there in fear and trembling. But he didn't let the fear stop him from preaching. So I'm not telling you to don't fear. I'm not telling you to not be discouraged. I'm not telling you to not go through things and suffer. But don't let it stop you. Keep going. Keep moving. Keep doing the will of God in your life. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let... Loss stop you. Don't let discouragement stop you. Don't let persecution stop you. You've got a call in your life. Get up. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. The Apostle Paul, look at, look at everything he went through. That's why I say he's such an encouragement to me. Everything he went through, man. 
I look at his life and say, now I've gone through nothing. Nothing. I have nothing to feel sorry for myself about. I have no reason to come to this church today and feel sorry for myself. And if you do, God help you today. God help your soul today. You need to get in an altar and you need to pray. You need to pray until you get God's perspective on your life. Instead of feeling sorry for what you had to give up. What did we have to give up? We haven't had to give up anything for Jesus Christ. <coughs> Nothing. My back's not bleeding today. I'm not in a prison cell today. I'm, I'm in free America. I can preach the gospel freely. I don't have to worry about somebody knocking at the front door, not knocking, coming through the door of the front of this church and putting me in handcuffs and taking me to prison and throwing me into solitary confinement somewhere, eating out a little dog bowl. You understand what I'm telling you today? And, and so this is a great example to me. I see the Apostle Paul. No quit. This man had no quit in him. No quit in him. No quit in him. None of those things moved him. Nothing. He could lose everything he had. His family, his wife, everything. His spirit, his mind is so consumed with the will of God. He is a one vision man. There's nothing else that's got a hold of his emotion. I can't say that about myself today. No material thing had a hold of that man's life. Nothing had a hold of that man's emotion except for the cause of Jesus Christ. There was no business endeavor. There was no emotional tie. There was no human relationship that was more important to him than the will of God in his life. I can't say that today. I've got some emotional ties and some stuff. This man was totally sold out. His whole, all of his emotions, all of his vision, all of his physical strength, everything about the man was going into fulfilling the will of God in his life. I can't say that. But he's my example today about a man who refuses to quit no matter what comes. <coughs> So really, a lot of things that we have, you know, that we use are nothing more than excuses. They're just little petty excuses. And on that great day of judgment, when every one of us stand there, hopefully we're saved. But I can assure you that there'll be somebody in the crowd there that if you come and you bring your excuse as to why you didn't do the will of God in your life, the Lord Jesus Christ will look and say, Sister, would you please come to the front at this point? And she'll come in front and give her testimony and condemn your excuse. Man, would you please come and stand here and tell us what you went through to do what you did to serve the Lord? And when He opens His mouth, He will condemn your excuse. 
See, we're real good about going through life and making excuses and making, and, and, you know, passing the blame and the buck on and putting it on somebody else. And, and the reason why I'm in the mess I'm in is because of this person and, and that. No, it's me and it's you that's got us in the mess we're in. And maybe if somebody has affected your life, all right, fine. But that doesn't mean you have to stop doing the will of God. That doesn't mean you quit. That means you keep pushing on. No matter how hard it is to fulfill the will of God in your life. Praise the Lord. Not always easy. <coughs> but we live in America. Yeah. Fine. But there's a call. And there's a cause. So I'm asking you today, and I'm not condemning you, man. I'm telling you because I know. I know my shortcomings as well. I can't point the finger at you. I know my shortcomings. I've got them. And I don't feel good about them. But I'm telling you today, knowing my shortcomings, where are we? Are, you, are we fulfilling God's will in our life at any cost, at any price? Are we willing to give up whatever we got to give up to be in the will of God and to know we're in the will of God? Or are we behind the scenes playing games? Oh, that, that, boy, that commitment, that's, that price is too, that's too great. Really? That's why I tell you, where, where do people get these, these things out of the Word of God where it's too strict or it's too straight or it's too hard or it's, you know, the commitment and the price is too great. Where does that come from? That doesn't come from the Bible. That comes from men's philosophy. Well, they require too much. Who's they? God's requiring it of me. <coughs> What are you doing? What are you doing? Because God requires it of me. If you were to come to me, brother, and tell me you don't have to do all this, I'd keep doing it. I'd keep doing it. You know why? Because God has called me to do it. So here we are back here in Odessa, Texas, Bible Center Fellowship on a Sunday morning. And how are we doing today? How, how, how am I doing today? I come here and I'm going to have a hard time even worshiping God, even getting off the pew. Why is that? Because we're feeling sorry for ourselves. That's a sin against God Almighty. Hallelujah! You can threaten. You say, well, I'm going to quit that church. Go ahead. I'm not. You hear what I'm telling you right now? You gotta make up your mind, woman. You gotta make up your, your mind, man. You gotta make up your mind. No matter what everybody else says, you're not pulling me out of the will of God. You're not getting me out of the will of God. And I know if I, listen, I'm gonna step into this. I know if I leave this church, I'd be out of the will of God. So, I'm not following you. If God releases me, I'm going. But if God didn't release me, I'm staying. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter what I go through. I'm staying and you can't get me out of here. And I'm not going to tell you to be unkind, but you might just get enough fire and you just tell them to shut up. You need to pray through. You need to get the Holy Ghost. You're backslid. 
You're as counterfeit as a $3 bill. You need to pray through. You need to get right with God. You stupid idiot. I'll do this. I'll do this. You Go ahead. Go ahead. The Paul, it didn't scare the Apostle Paul. None of those things moved him. You could threaten him. You could warn him. They're going to happen. But again, I'm just telling you today, that's the way I pastor. You know the way I pastor. You don't like it here? Hit the road. And I don't, I'm not trying to be unkind today. But I'm telling you, this little cop-out, this little playing of games, you know, it don't work in the kingdom of God. And if I'm making you mad, you can get glad the same in the same shoes you got mad in. Look at your name and tell him you can get you can get glad in the same shoes you got mad in. I don't like your attitude. Well, I don't care. Now, as, now since you told him you can get glad in the same shoes you got mad in, look at him. See now you glad? Ask him. Are you glad now? Good. You might as well just get over it. I want. Last time I checked, I didn't have anybody feeling sorry for me. Are you here today? I love you. Praise the Lord. God bless your little sweet heart. I know you know, man. I, I'm not trying to get on to you. I'm just preaching the truth to you. <clears throat> God help our souls. In the American church, man. Committed to Christ, but not committed to the cause of Christ. Or committed to the cause of Christ, not committed to the Christ. We need to be committed to the Christ and to the cause of the Christ and stop making a bunch of excuses. And no matter what somebody else does or what they say or what they think, I'm still doing God's will. And if you don't want to go with me, I'd love to have you go to heaven. But there are a lot of people who are going to go to hell that I wanted to go to heaven with me. That's just the way it is. I want everybody to go to heaven with me. But there's just some people who made up their mind they're going to hell. And I can't help those people. Give the Lord praise in the house. <clears throat> Hallelujah. You can sit down. I don't... I wasn't planning on saying those things to you today. But the Apostle Paul, his life and his commitment to the cause of, and to the Christ of God are, are our example. Okay? Amen. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for the truth. The truth will make me free. <coughs> Could you lose something? Could you lose someone? Could you suffer? Could you be afflicted doing the will of God? Would that cause you to stop? Would it cause you to quit? If you do, there will be somebody on Judgment Day that will say, my problems were bigger than yours and I kept living for the Lord. Amen. Amen. It all depends on you. That old military sign you know they had up in in wartime. <clears throat> they'd walk in those barracks. They'd walk into those barracks. I A D O U. 
I-A-D-O-U. It all depends on you. No excuses. It all depends on you. If you're on fire today, it's because you want to be on fire. If, if I preach today, I got the I have the Holy Ghost that I preach today because I want to preach today. I'm gonna I'm gonna preach today. Oh, don't give me this stuff. Well, I just don't feel like it. You get up and you get beyond that. It all depends on you. Well, the pastor, no, you. Brother so-and-so, no, you. Sister so-and-so, no, you. It all depends on you. What are you going to do with what you got? Say praise the Lord. No excuses. Nobody going to feel sorry for you. There ain't nobody feeling sorry for me. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God. I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me. <clears throat> Brother Edmonds. Y'all with me today? <clears throat> anyway. He's told me, I've talked to Brother Edmonds, you know. Say, Brother Edmonds, you sure have. You've given up a lot to serve Jesus Christ and going to Taiwan, the mission field. Well, all you've given up, left family behind. You know, all of that. You sure have sacrificed a lot, brother, to do what you're doing. You know, it's almost like people feel sorry for him. No, don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. I've done what God's called me to do. Don't feel sorry for me. I don't do a lot lot now, but these early years we first knew him. He was getting ready to go back to Taiwan, you know. And before he'd leave, we'd sit in our house and we'd just start, start crying. You know, I don't want him to go. Just sitting there, please don't go over there. I mean, stay, come on. I'm not saying we're trying to keep him from doing the work, but, you know, you have to go now. I mean, we're just going to miss you. That's the point. We're all crying, you know, and everything. He, he just, nothing would stop him. You, you couldn't, he just knew what he was supposed to do. Hallelujah. He's got his mind made up. And, you know, mamas and everything crying because they're going to leave and go back. And he doesn't stop them. You get back on that plane, fly to Taiwan, leave family behind. I'm going to do the work of God. Come on, somebody. It all depends on you. You can make excuses for yourself. You can say, why you're not doing what you should be doing in God. Or you can say, no, it all depends on me. I got everything I need to do the work of God. I got everything I need to do to do the will of God. Nothing's going to stop me. No hardship, no suffering, no prophecy that's telling me what I'm... I can tell you when I first started this work, my mentor, Brother Dice, told me this. He said this right here. <clears throat> we just started that little church in our house. We had two people in the church at that time in our house over there on Coronado. And I told Brother Dice, I said, Brother Dice, we're going to start a church here in Odessa, Texas. We've, we went through the proper procedure. At that time, we were an organization. I went through proper procedure that was required, organizationally speaking. I got the permission of the other churches in this city. Okay, you with me? Proper procedure. Pastors gave me the permission to do it. 
I got the permission from the board to do it. Are y'all here with me right now? I went through, I'm telling you, I went through the proper procedure, got everything, all the ducks in a row, you know, and I had it okayed from proper authority. All right? And I told Brother Dice, I'm going to start a church here in Odessa, Texas. He said, your trouble is just beginning. Man, I think, I would, I would think that he would say, where'd it go, Brother Carter? Go get him! It's going to be great! I'm happy for you! Brother Carter, your trouble is just beginning. I said, I know it, Brother Dice, but I have to do it. I have to do it. Come on, you hear me today? That's what the Apostle Paul, I gotta do it. I know trouble's coming. I, but I got to do it. I'm bound in the Spirit. Why do you do what you do? Because I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not a prisoner of Jerusalem. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I gotta do what I'm doing because God's called me to do it. Nobody can stop me. No situation, no, no loss, no suffering. I'm gonna do it. Just the way it is. I hope, I hope what I'm saying today is encouraging to you because I want to edify you. I'm not trying to beat you down. I want to edify you. I want to encourage you. <clears throat> when you get discouraged, you say, no, i got to keep going because Jesus Christ. I'm committed to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm committed to the cause of Christ. I can't stop. I can't quit. <clears throat> you may not be a pastor. You may not be called to be a pastor, an evangelist, or a five-fold ministry person. But you know what you can do? You come and I gotta get a church to pray early. Cause, cause I gotta throw my stick into that fire. I gotta help fuel that thing. Come on, somebody. I, I, I gotta make sure, you wanna talk about coal, I gotta make sure this coal's on fire. And when we all get together, you're cold, somebody else's cold put together. You got a big old, you got a strong fire. I got to make sure that I'm doing my part when I get to the house of God. That I'm prayed through, that I'm ready. That I'm ready to hear the voice of God, that I'm on fire. That I can add my fire to the fire that's in that house. That I can add what revival's inside of me to the revival that's in that church. I got to be on fire. I got to be in revival mode. Let me tell you something. An evangelist doesn't bring revival. You bring revival. Evangelists don't bring revival. You can bring an evangelist into the church. He can be a prophet. He can be an apostle. But if the church is not in revival, then just sit there and look at him. An evangelist don't bring revival. You understand? You are revival. You bring revival. If this church is in revival, it's because you're in revival. <coughs> this church is on fire, it's because you're on fire. If this church is cold, it's because you're cold. Get up! There's a cause, and it's the cause of Jesus Christ. David said, Is there not a cause? Lie tromping in the valley of Elah, is there not a cause? Why are you hiding in your cave over here? Saul hiding out. The armies of Israel hiding. You know, no champion, no champion to champion the cause of God. 
And this little young teenage boy named David walks up and says, Is there not a cause? I'll take on that giant myself. Saw you backslidden king. And all Israel's soldiers, there's no champion among you to face the giant. David said, Is there not a cause? It's the cause of God. It's the cause of Jesus Christ for us. Come on, somebody. You're going to hide in your little cave and feel sorry for yourself or be a backslidden soul? There's going to be a David that's going to rise up and says, Is there not a cause? I'll take that giant down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us somebody like that. These are, these are people of faith. David's and Saul, David's and Paul's. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope this is encouraging to you. Because I'm not telling you to not be discouraged, and I'm not telling you at times to feel like quitting and think about quitting. I'm not telling, and I'm not telling you to not fear. I'm just telling you when all that comes to you, just get back up and put one foot in front of the other, and keep on serving the Lord. No matter what's happening in your life, you've got. I've got to. I've got to. I've got to. Say praise the Lord. So now you know. Are you encouraged this morning? Well, I'm not. You ain't ever going to be. You never will be. Mm -mm. Ain't nothing said, nothing preached. Is ever going to change you. You've made up your mind. It all depends on you. I-A-D-O-U. It all depends on you. It's not anybody else's deal. It's your deal. Would you lift your hands and just thank the Lord for His goodness. Thank God for His grace to get you through those discouraging times. Thank God for His grace that enabled you to keep going when somebody else quit. Thank you, Lord. You kept us in the church. Kept us faithful. Kept us going through difficult times. No excuses, Lord. Amen. Totally sold out. Paul. Emotionally. Totally. No emotional ties to anything but Jesus Christ. I can't say the same. Physically. In the, can you imagine how he must have felt? Supposed to go to Jerusalem? His brethren. His brothers, according to the flesh, are going to reject him. And he's trying to save them. To even know that before you even get there. 
the prophecy has come down from church to church to church. And then a prophet comes to tell you, your brother's going to reject you outright. They're going to try to kill you. This is real business. This is not, this is real, literal, physical, the possibility of physical death is awaiting him from his own brother. That's heavy stuff. No, I'm going. I'm going. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? What a great, great encouragement that is. Verse 24, 20, 20, 24. <coughs> I will say this in Acts 20. And look at Acts 20, 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. That's 2020 vision right there. That's a man. Acts 2020. 2020 vision. He said, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. 2020 vision. He had a right vision toward the people he's preaching to and a right vision toward God. 2020 vision. That's awesome. Bless your heart. I love you. I thank God for every one of you. I'm trying to get you to see some things. Trying to, I want to see some things, don't you? I want to see some things. I, see, I don't want to always see it from my viewpoint. Because <laughs> I listen, the way I see it, it's really not too clear, not too good. I want to see it from God's yes, viewpoint. <clears throat> Talked to a man on the telephone the other day. He said, seemed like all the decisions I've been making have been wrong. He's a teacher of the Word of God. It seemed like all the decisions I've been making have been wrong. You will unless you get this 2020 vision. You see what you're supposed to do. You see the people that you're preaching to. You see them right and you see Jesus Christ right. You get your vision right. You start seeing things from God's perspective instead of your own little world. You see, it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me. The kingdom, I'm not, uh, am I encouraging? Am I beating you down? It's bigger than me and it's bigger than you, friend. This kingdom of God is much bigger than, than me getting my way. Paul knew that. None of those things move me. <coughs> Verse 25, And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. He's speaking to the eldership of Ephesus there. Not even the whole church is there. He's over there. He's, he's called them to um, where he's located at that time, Miletus. And he tells them, so you're not going to see me anymore. So there this revival that broke out in Ephesus, the Paul's ministry and the eldership set up there. You're not going to see me anymore. See my face no more. Last time, he's telling these Ephesians uh, elders, is the last time you're going to ever see my face. <coughs> Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Pure from the blood of all men. He warned them when he had to warn them. He preached the truth of him. He's a faithful watchman on the wall. You understand? He didn't hold back. 
when it went against popular opinion. He told them the truth. He warned them. He put the Word of God in them without fear or favor of men. So He says, I'm free from the blood of all men. If you die and go to hell, it's because you die and went to hell on your own. Your blood is on your own head. It wasn't because Paul didn't tell them the truth. It wasn't because Paul didn't warn them about what they were supposed to do. I honestly do not believe that any of these people in Ephesus would have ever, ever charged the Apostle Paul of judging them. When he warned them as a faithful watchman on the wall, who of Ephesus would ever walk up and say, you're judging me, Paul. Paul, no. I'm free from your blood because I've told you the truth. I preach the Word of God to you. I warned you where I should warn you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He said, I put it on record. Say Amen. Put it on record. I take you to record this day. He looked, look at the history. Look at the record. See if it's not true. So I'm free from your blood. Free from the blood of all men, not just them. Verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you the all the counsel of God. Not just parts and pieces of the Bible, but all the counsel of God. The whole Word of God. The judgment and the grace. Heaven and hell. You understand? The whole counsel of God. He didn't, you know, the pressure, times come on him not to give the whole counsel of God, knowing that it's going to go against public opinion. It's going to make somebody, you know, get on his wrong side. Oh, foolishness! He knew there was a call in his life. And he had to fulfill that call. Say amen. amen. And that was good for them. That was good for them. Thank God they had Paul. That gave them the whole counsel of God. Not just bits and pieces, you know. The whole counsel of God. A real, a true man of God. That's Paul. Thank God for that man. <laughs> you know. Verse 28, take heed therefore. He looked at his elders, take heed. Take heed. He's warning them. Take heed. Listen and do. Don't just listen to what I'm saying, but put into action what I'm telling you. Take heed. He didn't say hear what I'm saying. He said take heed. Listen and do it. Listen and do it. Listen and do it. Take heed. Therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you bishops or overseers. At Calvary, the ground is level for us all. We all have to be saved the same way. We all have to come and bow our knees before Him and and at the foot of the cross, the ground is level for everybody. But in the church, there's different levels of authority. Not everybody is at the same level. 
There are overseers that God has placed in the church. Bishops that God has placed in the church to have the oversight of the body. doesn't mean... Therefore, that means that not everybody is the same in the church. You understand that? We're all the same when it comes to salvation. But we're not all the same when it comes to God's government in the church. There were elders. There were bishops. There were overseers over the flock of Jesus Christ. And they're warned by the Apostle Paul here to feed the church of God. Say, feed the church of God. (coughs) Be more concerned about feeding the flock than feeding yourself. Feed the church the Word of God. Be faithful in delivering that Word to them. Don't stand up and give them psychology and philosophy you declare the Word of God to them. And the whole counsel of God, from Genesis to Revelation, you feed those. What do you feed them? You feed them the Word of God. You see, you're an unusual sheep. You know, you don't, you don't go and eat the grass on the ground. You eat the Word of God. See, I don't feed you like natural sheep, you're a spiritual sheep. You eat different kind, different kind of food. You eat the Word of God. And it's my responsibility as a shepherd, as an overseer of this church to feed the Word of God to you. And when you leave, I want you fat. I don't just give you a 30 minute sermonette. I want you fat, man. <coughs> I told my wife the other day, we were driving down the road, you know, and I said, <clears throat> I really believe one of the reasons why I spend, I take so much of time, you know, not just preach an hour or 30 minutes to you, but preach sometimes two, three hours at a time to you. The reason why is, is because as a church, you only exist, you've only been in existence about 17 years as a church. Their church has been existing for hundreds of years. You're a newborn baby. Okay? As a church, you're just a teenager right now. You're not very old. I gotta put as much of the Word of God inside of you as I possibly can. Praise the Lord. While I got the opportunity. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pump the Word of God. I'm going to put as much of the Word of God in you as I can. <coughs> I don't want you. I want to see your bones. I want you to be fat sheep. Hallelujah. Fat with the Word of God. That doesn't mean so fat with the Word of God you don't do anything with it. Fat with the Word of God. Get out there and do it. and then Get lean and mean. Brother Dice used to say, be a, you know, be a spiritual machine in the hand of God. Spiritual machine in the hand of God. Put enough of the Word of God in you. When you get out there, you're a spiritual machine in the hand of God. Full of God's Word. Just full. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, <clears throat> once I throw it out there to you, put it in the trough, you don't eat it, that's your problem. <laughs> 
It's not my problem. I threw the grain out there. <coughs> okay. <coughs> I got some of you. Everybody else is done eating. You'll still be down in the trough. You'll be the only one. You'll still be looking for more. <laughs> I got a few of you go there and take a couple bites. Oh, that's good. That's enough for me. <coughs> Amen. Excuse me. So he's telling these overseers of Ephesus, you're not going to see me, my face anymore. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the, all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. Jesus Christ had the blood of God flowing in His veins. This is the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ intertwined. The blood of God. God is a spirit. When did God ever have blood? It's when He, God, the Spirit, came in human flesh and in that humanity of Jesus Christ flowed the blood of God. The humanity and deity of Jesus Christ is seen in that passage. It's not just the blood of the Son of God. It's the blood of God Himself that flowed in the veins of Jesus Christ. It wasn't the blood of Adam. It was the blood of God. It had no sin in it. It was untainted. It had no sin in it. That's why His body saw no corruption. When they killed Him and put Him in the tomb, His body saw no corruption because there was no sin in His blood. There was no corruption in His blood. You die, what do they do today? Brother Heath, person dies. What do they do with the blood? Drain it out. Why? Why? They get the blood out. Because the blood is a corrupting force. It's tainted with sin. First thing, when you die, first thing they go for is the blood. It corrupts. Jesus Christ died on that cross. The Bible says His body saw no corruption because there was no sin in that blood. That was the blood of God. And when that blood hit the atmosphere flowing from His hands and flowing from His side, when that blood hit the atmosphere, there was enough cleansing power in that blood to forgive every sin that's ever been committed or ever will be committed to purify you and me from all our sins. Because it wasn't the blood of Adam that was tainted with sin. It was the blood of all God Almighty. That's the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, you can't be saved. If He wasn't virgin born, you can't be saved. Because He's got the blood of Adam in Him which is corrupted by sin. The virgin birth. That's what you see right here. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The blood of God was in His veins. How many of y'all believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? God come in flesh. The blood flowing through His veins, untainted by the sin of Adam. And when He shed that blood for you and I, it's an incorruptible blood. His body saw no corruption. Didn't even go into decay. 
Three days, three nights in the grave. Resurrected from the dead. Thank God for the power of the blood. He's telling these elders, so you need to realize that God purchased the church with His own blood. You talk of how much value have you put on the blood? It's the blood of God Almighty. What kind of price can you put on that? From God's viewpoint, it was valuable enough to save you and I from hell. From God's viewpoint, it was a price enough to save the world from sin. Is the blood of God Almighty. He said to these elders, you realize this church, when you preach to that church, you look at them and you understand the price that was paid for their soul. The blood of Jesus Christ was the blood of God. That's the price that's paid for your soul. When you preach to that flock, you look at them and you understand the price that was paid for those people. How much God cares about them. How much God loves those people. He'd pay that kind of price for them. Because He paid that kind of price for me. You know what I can do? I can love Him back. I can be committed to the Christ and committed to the cause of the Christ because of the price He paid for me and for you. Give the Lord worship in the house. Thank God. Thank God. Why do you love Him so much? Why do you love Him so much? Because He first loved you and gave Himself for you. It's the blood of God. He's telling these elders, you need to realize what you're doing here. It's a very serious, serious thing. You're the overseers of the church. He said, you teach, feed the church of God, the flock of God. <clears throat> you have the oversight of them, which He hath purchased with His own blood. I was talking to a, a man one time uh, his knowledge of Scripture is amazing. But he did not have a revelation of the godness of Jesus. He's still walking in the Trinitarian concept of things. And I gave him this verse sitting in my house. I said, "Jesus is Jesus God? Is Jesus the Father? He said, I, don't, I, he said, I believe He's God, but I don't believe He's the Father. Let me tell you something, Jewish mind... God is the Father. Is it Jesus God? He wasn't, you know, ready to commit that Jesus was the Father. And I said, well, read Acts 20, 28. He went into his room, which is in my house. He's staying with us. He opened up in Acts 20, 28. It blew him away. See, the only way it could have been the blood of God is if God was in Jesus Christ. If Jesus was God. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Well, we've come a long ways since then in talking to this individual about the oneness of God. Amen. How many of y'all believe that Jesus was God? For I know this tells him, Their responsibility, the price that's paid, what they're supposed to do. He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He said, There's going to be 
outside enemies that are going to come and attack the church of Ephesus. Outside enemies. And these enemies are not going to spare the flock. And not only outside enemies, but he said there's going to be inside enemies. People right from within the church. From within the midst of the church. He said they're going to rise up from in the midst of you. He said, verse 30, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things. Right from within the church, they're going to begin to speak false doctrine to the church. He said, there's enemy on the outside. He said, but there's enemies on the inside and they're going to spread false doctrine in the church. What's their motive? <coughs> Look at that. He's looking at the eldership, Brother Heath. And he's telling them, of your own selves. He knows that in that present eldership, that there's going to be some that are going to apostatize. That from among them, there will be some that will arise and speak perverse things. They're going to start spreading false doctrine in the church. And what is their motive? To draw away disciples after them. All they want to do is take you out of the church, take the disciples of the flock out of the church, take them down the street and start their own thing. That's their whole motive. So they can have a little following of their own. He said, enemies on the outside, enemies from within. You don't think as an overseer of a church that a man has to be in constant guard. The enemies, watch this, enemies that are coming from the outside world into this house. What is your motive? Do you really want to know God? Do you really want to be saved? If you do, we'll do everything we can to help you get saved. But we got our eyes on you and we're watching you to see what you're all about. Because there's too many sheep in this house that are at stake and I'm not about to let anybody come in here and devour you. So until we know what you're about, we're going to keep our eyes on you. Coming from the outside in. And then, Pastor got to watch people from the inside you know, that would devour you a different way. They just want a following, a following for themselves. So they're going to knock on your door. Dip, 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 dip. Hey, won't you come over here with us? Yeah, we know the spirit that's driving that. That's not God. You know that. You know, you're, you're, you're smart enough to know that. That nobody that's really sitting from God will go to you and try to take you out of church that's preaching the Word of God to you unless they're motivated by a different kind of spirit. Right. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. Sharing perverse things. False doctrine. Maybe contention. Maybe strife. Right. Amen. 
That's perverse things. Anything they can do to get a following for themselves. So you ever, okay, praise the Lord, God bless your heart, but you need to understand sometimes you need to pray for your pastor when you don't understand his approach to you is because he's got his eyes on you because he's not too sure about you and he's got a lot of sheep he's concerned about that you might devour and take advantage of. And I'm not about to let that happen. Say praise the Lord. I have responsibility to God Almighty. I can't let you come in here and spread your false doctrine. I can't let you come in here and devour the sheep of the living God. I just can't let you do it. A responsibility before God Almighty. Say praise the Lord. I love you. I love you. And once we, once we determine and we, we, we discern that you are a sheep, praise the Lord. Everything's alright. But if you're a wolf, You think we're going to go pet you on the collar? If you're a wolf, we're not going to pet you. We're going to deal with you, boy. You keep jumping up. you jumping up like a wolf, jumping up in the throats of another saint all the time. Oh, we're watching you. I ain't seen no sheep jumping up in the throat of another saint. No, 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 no. We're not going to let you do that. We're not going to let you mistreat each other. Jesus, help me today. Feel God. You have no right. You let your children just have any, just get in there and just beat the tar out of each other. If you, if you do, you're stupid. You don't love them, you're stupid. We're not going to let you beat the tar out of each other. All we know, sheep has been transformed into a wolf. And, and that little innocent sheep's got, you know, going for the throat. Then we got you laying around. You're all dead. You blood, blood all over the sheep. You know who God's going to require it? My, me. Why'd you let that sheep get killed by that wolf? <coughs> Responsibility of the shepherd. You can read the book of Amos. You can see in the book of Amos that when those sheep got snatched away from the flock, the owner of the sheep went to the shepherd and held him responsible for the sheep. And he had to, he had to be, he had to prove that he was without fault. That it wasn't his fault that the sheep had been killed by the animal, the beast. He had to prove that he'd done everything to keep that sheep close to the fold. Not wandering off doing its own thing so a wolf could get it. He had to prove that he was, as a shepherd, doing what he was supposed to do to protect that sheep if he could not prove that he was innocent concerning the death of that sheep that he had done everything he was supposed to do. He had to pay. He was responsible. He had to pay for that sheep himself. So I'm not about let anybody, I don't care who you are, anybody come in here and take advantage of this church. Or take advantage of any sheep here. Or destroy you with false doctrine or whatever. Because ultimately God's going to say, what happened to that sheep? 
I pray to God on that day. I stand before God and God says, what happened to that sheep? I can say, Lord, I did everything I could. I pray. I'm not saying I will be able to, but I pray I will be able to. But He warns them. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He's not interesting. You have a man like Paul departing. You have an authority, apostolic authority in this man. You have a father who's no longer around. Like Paul, that's when the enemies start trying to take advantage of the flock. That's when enemies from within the flock begin to rise up and destroy them from within. It's when that man, Paul, is out of place. Not out of the will of God, but out of that place. That's when the enemy attacks. You, you, praise the Lord. Not for my sake, but your sake. That's why you need a pastor. Because as soon as your pastor is not in his proper place in your life, that's when the enemy is going to attack you. That's when he's going to steal you away. That's when he's going to devour you and destroy you. So you do need a shepherd. You need a man that's appointed by God. And I will tell you this, you know, I believe I am. But if I'm not, you better find somebody in your life that is appointed in your life to be your shepherd. Because you need them. As soon as there's nobody there. I know Jesus is the ultimate shepherd of the sheep. But there's under shepherds, overseers, that He's placed to take care of the sheep. And as soon as they're out of of the way, out of the picture... That's when the enemy, that's when the wolf, the lions, etc. are going to attack you. Let me tell you something, man. There's something the enemy don't want to mess with. And that's with a man like Paul who has, you know, he's set by God to be an apostle. He's anointed by God. He's a man of God. The devil don't want to mess with Paul when it comes to the sheep. See, he'll wait till Paul gets out of the way. Then he'll come in. He'll come in secretly from within or without attack the sheep. You follow this? You follow what he's trying to show you here? Give the Lord some praise <coughs> in the house. I thank God for leadership that's maturing and growing in our church that at some point, I don't know, if there will be others that come in that I don't know about, that will be placed in eldership here. If some from within you, and I pray there are, some from within you that mature into a position of eldership in the house. But I can tell you that I thank God for the leadership that we do have that are in process. Because I do believe they do care about you. I really do believe they care about you. They do. I believe the people that stand behind this pulpit that I ask to stand behind this pulpit to preach to you, I believe they really do care about you. That they're not just doing it because they get up front or be seen. I know them. They'll run from it. But when they do it, it's because they care about you. 
and they care about the things of God. And they're not set in eldership yet. i got some trustees. But I'm thankful at some point there'll be eldership in the house, plural. Because the church, in the Word of God, the church eldership is plural. Not singular. It's plural. So I praise God for the leadership that will at some point become leader, eldership in the house of God. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you today? But they're going to have to have this understanding of the Word of God. And so, as Paul, he knows all of this is coming. You would think, well, Paul, if you know it's coming, why don't you stay there and fight those wolves off? You know they're coming from without within. Paul can't. He's called to go do, he's called to go to Jerusalem. In chapter 19, the verse, the last verse of 19, before we started chapter 20, he said, I'm going to Rome. I said, I want to go to Rome. He's wanting to go to Rome to preach the gospel to the heart of the world. He can't stay there. So what he's got? He's got eldership that's going to oversee the flock, feed the church of God. He's going to, he tells them, he warns them about grievous wolves entering among you, not sparing the flock. Man, they're going to go straight for the throat. Verse 30, also of your own self shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. Warning, warning, warning. One warning after another. Preaching the Word of God to them. Warning them, warning them. Day and night with tears. And now, brethren, what does Paul do at this point after giving them these instructions? Now, brethren, I commend you to God. This is all, I, all he can do is commend him to God. Jesus said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Wow. Into my hands commend. Into thy hands commend my Commend I my spirit. He's speaking to the Lord. The spirit. He's going to commend his human spirit to the eternal spirit of God. Into thy, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Bible says he bows his head and dies. Right? I think I've got it wrong in the past and I'm okay in, in bringing the correction to it. I think I've told you in the past that he threw his head back and said it is finished and then bowed his head and died. But if I look at it carefully, the Bible says when he died, he bowed his head. He bowed his head and then gave up the ghost. Most men die in like this with heads up. They die with heads up, then bow. Jesus bowed and then died. And the reason why He did that on the cross in John 19 is so that everybody that saw Jesus die there on that cross knew that He was not just your ordinary man. He bowed His head and died. That's unique. So now, Paul, what Paul can do, he can do, all he can do is commend them. Commend that church. Am I boring you today? I commend you to God and to what? The Word of His grace. So I'm going to put you in the hands of God. 
into the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Oh, check that out. He said, I'm committed you to God into the word of His grace. These are the enemies you're going to be facing. But God and the word of His grace is sufficient enough to get you through when you're attacked. You with me today? Commend you to God in the word of His grace. How many have come to the house of God, man? I mean, the enemy's been hitting you left and rise like wolves attacking you. When you come to the house of God and the Spirit of God is there and the Word of God goes forth, and guess what? The wolf's been defeated. The enemy's defeated. <clears throat> you and I both know if it wasn't for the for God, for the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we'd all be dead right now. Spiritually. We'd be lost right now. But because we made it back to the house of God, we hear the Word of God one more time. Spirit of God moves in our lives. We're edified. We're lifted up. We're strengthened. We're ready to go again in the face of all the enemies and all the oppositions that are there. We have what we need to make it through. We have it, have what we need to make it to overcome the enemies. <coughs> he builds us up. Say, so builds us up. Gives us the strength we need. His enabling power. His Word. <coughs> to give you an inheritance, that's His ultimate goal. Is to give you an inheritance among all them which are what? Sanctified. The holy ones. Those that are set apart unto God. Those are the ones that are going to get the inheritance. The sanctified ones. Set apart to God. Say praise the Lord. Well, time flies, doesn't it? I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Then how did he make it? <clears throat> he depended on God. He depended on God. Times he had to work. Times the church supported him. But he depended on the Lord. He didn't, he didn't covet men's gold and silver and money. He trusted God to take care of him. And God used men to bless him. God used men to meet his needs. But he wasn't looking to men. He was looking to God the whole time. <coughs> Say praise the Lord. We preach on, if we preach on tithing, it's not because we got our eyes on you like your dollar signs. We preach tithing to you because it's the word of God. And it's God's way to provide. Correct? Say amen. But ultimately, you know God. We know God's our provider. And you can all quit the church and God's going to provide. That's just the way it is, you know. Anyway, so I'm positive here. Uh, you're faithful. God bless your heart. I, that's why I don't have to stand up. You don't wonder why you're a pastor. You go to some churches and every church service they preach, they have to preach about tithes and offerings. And you come here and you hardly ever hear me preach on tithing offering. You know why? Because you all do it. Everybody does it. Why do I have to get up? Well, you know, I may preach it just to, 
you know, to show you biblically why you do what you do. But I thank God I don't have to get up every service and say, now come on, we can't pay the light bills, you know, because we need, you need, on and on it goes. And, <clears throat> you know, if you'll help me today pay the light bill, I'll give you my most recent message. It's your new, newest and freshest sleeping pill. You know what I mean? That makes, I don't know, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe that, I don't know, some of these guys have to do it that way. Maybe it is God telling them to do that, but it just, can I just tell you on a personal level, it makes me mad. For, for, to hear that kind of stuff. A man spending most of the time, marketing, selling Bibles, selling messages of the month. I've just always felt like if God was in it, He's going to take care of it. And I can tell, I can tell you in the 17 years I've been here, we've never missed one bill. Not one time. And there were times when God spoke to us and said to us as a whole church, corporately, focus on this amount. And without exception, every time we stood up, even it didn't matter. There was a time we, we believed God for, oh, was it $50,000, I think, in what, 52 days? $50,000 in 52 days to pay off the church building here? This little church right here? We had a word from the Lord, $50,000 in 52 days. We stood up, we declared that, we believed that was the mind of God, and the church believed it was the Word of God, it wasn't the Word of a man, and it came to pass. Well, praise the Lord. This church has been here, um, I'm estimating 10 years, this building, in this building, and we paid it off in less than seven. The whole thing, the whole complex, complex. I didn't say I have a complex. <clears throat> we paid off the whole church complex. This whole complex and the property across the street, all of it's paid for. And I didn't have to get up constantly. Now we need some help paying the lights. I sure do need y'all to help me pay my house payment this month. Never have, never have told you that. Never. Don't have to. Because you committed, committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Oh. Say amen. amen. No, I don't, don't have to. Paul didn't have to covet men's uh, uh, silver or gold or apparel. He just focused and he trusted on God. As he went out and do the will of the Lord, God took care of him. Isn't that beautiful? It's awesome. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Oh. We, we've, uh, by God's grace, stepped out in faith to get the Word of God out, not the name of the church or the name of a man, but to get the Word of God out. We stepped out and went on television a few years ago, and not one time have I ever been on television asking people for money. Right. Amen. 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 That's right. I hardly ever even ask you to support the television ministry. I just remind you about it. 
to encourage you on that, not because I'm fixing to take up an offering. But this was not done in a corner. What's happening in here and what is preached here is not done in a corner. It is not secret. And I'll get to that later in a few weeks. We'll talk about that. It's not secret. No secret what God can do. What He's done for me, He can do for you. This thing wasn't done in a corner. But I can tell you, to encourage you, I've talked to people in prisons, not even in this city. Um, some in the city. I got a letter from people, prisons outside of the city, that watch that television program. I've talked to men in prison in this city. They said, we're watching it. I got, we got people in the prison. He said, they're watching. I said, really? Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. And he said, how did I look? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you these things to encourage you. My wife saw somebody, uh, a mother of one of my best friends in high school, saw my wife. He says, we watch Jerry all the time. So I'm trying to encourage you that, you know, what's happening here is we haven't tried to keep this in the four doors of this church. We've tried to take it out there. And we tried to hit the highways and the byways and the, and the airways as well with the Word of God. And there are people who are watching it. And I think you'd probably be surprised how many people are. That's right. Amen. Amen. Say amen. amen. But I, my whole point is I've never... Never one time got up there and told them I'd send them the CD of the month if they would support the television ministry. <clears throat> now, now if that's if God's told you to do that, I'm fine. But He hadn't told me to do that. I haven't ever had to. Where'd it come from? Right here, right in, right within this house. Praise the Lord. People are just faithful, faithful. Hallelujah. To tithing and offering, just faithful. So we don't have to. Amen. Amen. You see, uh, this is Paul's approach. Verse 34, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive. There'll be times in your life, there's been times in my life where I just felt just rotten, just, just I don't know how to put it. Look at my life. You got too much. You have so much. And you know, it just feels good sometimes just to do something sacrificial. You understand? Just to take care of that old, maybe if there's any selfishness in you, just say, I'm going to deal with you, you old selfish rascal. I'm not going to let you be selfish. I'm just going to do something sacrificial. Nobody even knows about it. I'm just going to do something sacrificial. And I'm going to deal with that old selfish me. And throw it in the altar. Praise the Lord. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. <clears throat> you understand what I'm trying to say? If you're always getting receiving all the time, you're not going to feel good. But it's when you get to give out of an abundance that God has given to you, 
You know that's when you're blessing. That's, that's when you're really happy. You know what I'm telling you. Believe what I'm saying to you. Okay, anyway, praise the Lord. That's just my approach. Just sometimes I just don't like myself. How about you? Are you in love with you? I'm in love. You're in love with you. You're in love with you. Sometimes I'm just not too happy with me. You know, would you do something to help somebody else? You know, and right. <clears throat> I remember Brother Heath was going. I, I'm sorry, Brother. It was all right if I mentioned your name. I already did it, but you can edit it. I remember Brother Heath going through a very difficult time in his life. Very difficult time in his life. And I told him, Brother, I said, I believe if you just get a giving heart, that, that God will help you through this time. Just become a giver. Right, Brother? We talked about that. And uh, he did. I didn't tell him what to do, how to do it. He said, just be a giver. He just opened up his heart and he just started giving. And I'd hear from time to time different people he'd helping in the church. He's giving. Did it help you in that time, brother? Helped him in that time, man. See, that'll bring you happiness, man. That'll bless you. If you go through life, you always got your hand out all the time. Always looking for somebody. Give me, give me, give me. You're a miserable person. You're the kind of person that can't wait to give. You're a happy person. You got a smile on your face. <clears throat> More blessed to give than to receive. And sometimes you need to receive. And don't, don't be so prideful that you, you won't receive. When somebody says, I'm going to give, you need to get rid of the pride and say thank you. You hear what I'm telling you? Some of you got too much pride to receive. All right. More blessed to give than to receive. Sometimes you need to receive. When it's time for you to receive, receive. I'm giving you some practical application here today. I didn't realize I was going to go into this morning. I I, I needed God's grace to preach to you today. But I can tell you this. Do you realize that, that people who, if you always give people and you make them dependent on you, and they won't get out there on their own two feet and make a living for themselves, you realize those kind of people will hate you? You know why they'll hate you? Seem like if you're always giving to them everything they want and they don't have to make a living for themselves, it seemed like they would love you if, if you helped them all the time, but they don't. They'll start hating you. You know why they'll hate you? Because you're taking their independence away. And you're letting them become dependent on you. So they'll hate you because you let them do it. And it will eventually corrupt their souls. That's why we don't just throw money to everybody and every need that comes. You can corrupt their souls. You can make them dependent on you. And they'll hate you for it. Say praise the Lord. Come on. Amen. Amen. The Word of God, Word of God comes to you to make you independent. Where you stand on your own two feet. Where you depend on God Almighty. You stand on your own two feet. And you go out there and you make your way in this world. Ah, Hallelujah to the Lamb. 
say. But anyway, that just I threw a little bit in on that one. I'd really love to spend about an hour on that and talk to you about that. I've called some people in the church. Help me, dear Lord. I've called them. They, they wanted to help somebody in the church. And I started getting concerned about it. I call them up and I say, hey, you, you thinking about helping so-and-so? I said, I wish you wouldn't. I wish you wouldn't. You're going to mess them up if you do. They need to learn to walk on their own two feet. Are y'all hearing me? Now then sometimes God step in and say, help. Alright? Then we do it. But don't corrupt somebody's soul. Don't cause them to hate you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. I had a, I had a young single woman uh, living for the Lord and her husband forsook her and faithful to her. She ended up in divorce because of his actions. He basically wouldn't even feed her. She's a believer. And from what I understand at times, not all the time, of course, but at times, he didn't want to even give her a hamburger to eat. He didn't, you know, anyway, so this is a mess, alright? So he ended up leaving her for another woman and she had no place to go, basically. And I said, alright, I'll tell you what I'll do. We'll open up this back area here. We'll give you a place to sleep. But you're going to have to work. And you're going to have to pay your electric bill. Okay. We helped her. Right? But she still was responsible to pay her electric bill. Praise the Lord, church. And to go to work. And to pay for her car payments. And and to pay her bills. We gave her a place to sleep. That's it. She had to buy her own food. Why did you do that, Pastor? Because if I said, all right, I'm throwing you back here. You're a single mother. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pay your bills. We'll you know, pay the electricity for you. We'll buy your food for you. Let me tell you something. That young woman would end up hating us and not loving us. We would have corrupted her. It worked out for the good. Praise the Lord. Man. <clears throat> she started doing so good. That's before she got married. I think at one time she's making over $60,000 a year. That's a single mama. $60,000 a year. What if I'd have said, well, we didn't want to take care of you ourselves. We'd have ruined her. Say praise the Lord. Is this helping anybody? Now she's meaner than ever. <laughs> but I don't do that for everybody. Okay, just as God was leading in that situation, we need we knew as God. Hallelujah, brother Patrick, you all right? Okay. I noticed you're kind of leaning backwards, <laughs> sister Jacqueline. Just kind of. You see him leaning backward, just kind of put your Bible on his back and kind of push him forward. <clears throat> this is one of the real good sleeping pills, and he's fixed the Eutychus fall right out of the window. <clears throat> lean, lean, yeah. Oh, he's going to sit up straight like this. 
Okay, that's all right, too. So anyway, okay, here we go. More blessed to give than to receive. How many would say that's the truth? That's the Word of God. That's the Word of God. More blessed to give than to receive. That's the principle I was talking to you about. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Everybody needs help sometime. So don't feel bad if you've gone through times when you needed help. Alright? No problem with that. That's not a sin. Amen. We've all had help at some point in our lives. Praise God for the help. But it's more blessed to give than to receive. Are y'all worried about somebody else? You think I'm talking to somebody else? I'm not talking to you? Okay. Verse 36, when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down, prayed with them all. Right there. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Because remember, this is the last time they're going to see him ever again. They fell on his neck, kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Praise the Lord. I'm closing at that. Hallelujah. What a good God. Hmm. Isn't that awesome? I can't stop right now. I feel like I need to go on and I need to emphasize a little bit more for you, okay? In Acts 21, it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, in launch, we came with a straight course and the coast, the day falling into roads and from thence departed. Finding a ship sailing over into Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. And the Bible says, now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left on the left hand, sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unlay her burden, finding certain, finding disciples. Where? In Tyre. First time Tyre's mentioned here, I believe, as far as having disciples. Uh, Jesus started that with a Syrophoenician woman. Finally, disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. There it is again. Don't go to Jerusalem. They're saying it through what? The Spirit. They're hearing it from God. That he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when he had accomplished those days, he departed and went they went our, we went our way, remembers Luke's with them now, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. We kneeled down, kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And we had taken our leave one of another. We took ship and they returned home again. And when we finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist which was one of the seven, abode with him. Look at that. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. Isn't that an awesome thing? That Paul, 20 years ago, gave his consent to the stoning of Stephen, and the persecution broke out in the church, and Philip had to flee for his life. 
And in fleeing for his life, he spread the gospel. Um, Philip ends up here. And now Paul, after persecuting the church originally and being the reason why Philip had to leave, the Scripture now tells us, if I understand the Scripture correctly, that Paul is with this company. He sits down in the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. You think about that. You think about that. And this is why I needed to bring this in focus to you. Is that 20 years before, this same man was killing the church. 20 years ago, this man Paul was the reason why... Philip had to flee Jerusalem. And now 20 years later, the Apostle Paul is sitting across the table with Philip in the church. Do not judge what you're going through today until you get through it a few years and then look back at it then and make a judgment on it. Because if you look at it right now, you see what I'm saying? If you look at what you're going through right now, you'll, you'll make a false judgment on it. Philip now can look back 20 years and see that all of those events God was using to bring the Apostle Paul into the kingdom, even the stoning of Stephen, God was going to use it to bring Paul into the kingdom. A very horrible time of persecution. When your world is falling apart all around you, do not pass judgment on it at that moment. Wait till you get beyond it and then pass judgment on it. Twenty years later, we got the man that was persecuting the church sitting at the same table with Philip. So if your world is falling apart on you today, don't pass judgment on it. Stay faithful to God. Keep serving the Lord. And when you get through it, then you can see it for what it really is. Does that make sense? Man, my world's falling apart. Everything's falling apart. Don't pass a judgment on it until you get uh, a little bit of distance from it. Say praise the Lord. <clears throat> All right. Say amen. Let's stand. It's on God's sovereignty and His providential control. While you're standing, the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. The Bible doesn't teach against women prophesying. He's got four virgin daughters that are prophesying. Uh, he was, as we tarried there many days, there came down a Jude, from Judah, a certain prophet named Agabus. We've seen him before. He's prophesied the famine in the early part of Acts. Now this prophet Agabus comes down while he's there in Caesarea with Philip. Oh, yeah, so I know Paul was there. Verse 11, When he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. At that point, we'll pick that up next week by God's grace. But what he's saying is, as you're crying, 
as the church was crying there and begging him not to go to Jerusalem, he says, why break ye my heart? It's not a physical thing. What he's saying to them is all these crying and all these tears that are being shed for Paul and the statements, don't go because you'll be bound. What Paul is saying, your tears are bending my heart. You're trying to bend my purpose in God. Your tears are bending my purpose in God. So I can't let those tears bend my purpose in God. You understand? That's what he's saying there. Uh, so he's got another word from a prophet that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound and he will be afflicted. And we'll see that next Sunday, God willing. Father, we come before